Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Before we jump into the episode, I also want to let you all know that Jem and I will be traveling to Atlanta for Render ATL. We will be doing something special for Front End Happy Hour at the conference. If you would like to join us and are wanting to register for the conference, we also have a discount code, which is F-E-H-H. We hope to see you in person and maybe meet a few of you. It's been nice to get back to some of the in-person conferences. In this episode, we are going to be talking about micro front ends, which there's been a lot of buzz around this one lately. I feel like it's been a long poll of buzz though. I looked up, it's been around since 2016, but I felt like in the early pandemic, that's all I heard about was micro front ends. And it's actually really funny is I was invited to a clubhouse sometime in the pandemic when clubhouse was really popping. We were talking about micro front ends and that's where I met Ruben, which is our guest of this episode. So Ruben, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Sure. So my name is Ruben Casas. I am a staff engineer at Postman. And my favorite happy hour beverage is probably, I'm, I'm in the UK, so it's probably a, a pint of beer. That would be the best one. However, I've been trying to get into whiskey lately. There is only one problem, and it's that I don't know anything about whiskey. Uh, so I end up always drinking cheap, you know, uh, Jack Daniels or something. So uh, if you have any tips, let me know. <laughs> I could definitely give some recommendations for some good Amazing. choices. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and it's, it is just Jem and I as panelists today, but Jem, you want to give an intro? Jem Young, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? It depends. It depends, <laughs> which which is the keyword, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, as, as we dive into the topic, what is a micro front end? Let's start there. Well, I, I have a problem with, with the name. I mean, I have a problem with micro front ends in general, but the name is, is really confusing. You know, when you say micro front, micro front ends, you immediately think small, and you also might be thinking about, you know, microservices, which is partly true. Uh, but I have a problem with the name, and I also have a problem with the definition. So <laughs> let's look into that. So the official definition is, is an architectural pattern where you independent, where independently deliverable front-end applications are composed into a greater whole. Now, if I ask you, you to, you know, after I read that definition, is it is it clearer what a mic micro front-end is or what micro front-ends are? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a bit confusing. So, um, and, and the thing that I've seen is that the people confuse the actual architectural pattern with the implementations of micro front-ends. So long story short, it is an architectural pattern. And how do you achieve that? How do you implement that pattern? Well, you split your front-end application into smaller pieces that are deployed and developed independently by different teams. Nice. That was a better description than I expected, Ruben. Thank you. That is very good. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, the, the term is not, is not that great. Um, it really isn't. Now, now you saying that, I'm like, yeah, actually valid point. Like, I never really picked at it, but now as you outline that, I'm like, yeah, it's not the best term. It's in there like serverless for me. We're like, that's that's not what it means. It sounds cool, but like, you know, the, the name is incorrect. And, and Ruben, I like you called out, it's an architectural pattern, not like any one thing you can do. And there's different ways of implementing it, depending on your, your kind of your view of uh, 
what a micro front end is and what you're trying to achieve at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And, and the, the problem with um, the term also is that uh, people immediately think about uh, microservices. And when you think about microservices, you think, oh, multiple languages and multiple frameworks. And that's one of the main misconceptions about micro front ends, and is that you can mix and match your front end frameworks. Where in reality is not the case. In reality, is more about you know deploying your application independently and solving a problem. So that's that's the main uh, important key takeaway from today is you know uh, it's meant to solve a problem. So if you don't have a problem, uh, yeah, you don't you don't need micro front end. So uh, we go into the deep into why we need them and why not, etc. Oh, so you're saying we shouldn't just go rewrite our application just because we heard micro front ends are cool? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> there are there are many options, and micro front ends. I think the the reason also we are talking today is because I I think James saw one of the diagrams I created where you can have multiple uh, choices of architecture. So, uh, you know, the most traditional one is the monolith, and and the monolith is fine. I don't know why the monolith has so much hate. Uh, the monolith is great. A lot of companies have been built and have massive monoliths and they work fine. Uh, and for them, it works. They don't have a problem or they seem to manage the problem better. But then if you have a problem with the monolith, there is a scale where you can start like gradually uh, improving your architecture uh, just to make things a little bit more decoupled. And then you arrive at the very far end of the scale is, uh, is micro front ends. But what people don't realize is that there are many different options in the middle that you can also uh, try and adopt to see that solves your problem. Uh, the problem I've seen is people just go, you know, zero to 100 uh, from monolith, and then you just go to the micro, micro front ends, which is uh, distributed architecture, and is even, you know, it's more difficult. There are more things that could go wrong. And it, it doesn't even solve the problem. So if they didn't have a problem, <laughs> you get more complexity, and then uh, you are not even solving the problem that you had in the, at the beginning. It's funny. I honestly, monolith, microservices, whatever it is, there's trade-offs that happen. Like it's not like one is necessarily better than the other. It's to your point, Ruben, what problem are you trying to solve? What works best for you? And I also, like you said, don't go to like zero to 100. You can kind of find what works for you and your team or your application, your company, whatever it is what you're trying to solve, and then what works best. And also iterate, right? Don't sign up for just being monolith and say, yep, that solved all our problems. It's like, you kind of have to iterate and try and figure out what works best. But maybe that being said, I am curious to know, like, what would you both say, like, are some of the clear benefits, or even to Ruben's point, what problem do micro front end solve? Um, I was going to say it depends. Uh, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers. But then... Um, so, I mean, the, the main problem is scaling, and it's not scaling in terms of uh, your um, application performance uh, or infrastructure, uh, because that's probably the main difference between microservices and micro front ends. You know, like microservices, you have uh, uh, one, you, you choose microservices because you want to potentially uh, scale in terms of horizontal scaling of your services, and there is an infrastructure side of that. But micro front ends, the browser doesn't, you know, you have one browser, you can't split it into multiple. Uh, you basically, your infrastructure is not going to get better if you use micro front ends. Uh, you still have the same backend servers that provide your front end application. Um, but the benefit is more into the organizational 
side in micro front ends. So microservices have both, have the organizational and also the, the infrastructure that you can, you know, in, increase your pods and then you get more throughput of your application. Micro front ends are, um, unfortunately, because of the browser, they are only benefits on the, on the uh, organization and team structure side. So usually companies try to adopt micro front ends because they have a problem with scaling their teams. So a lot of people are working in a monolith and you probably have seen that before when application starts getting a little, big, a little bit big and then a lot of people are start to make changes at the same time and then deployments, rollbacks, bug fixes, all of that starts getting slower, slower, more complicated. So people start thinking, okay, will independently uh, deployable applications in the front end help us with this? Will it help us uh, be more you know, go faster, deliver faster our products. And it, it will in the beginning. It seems like, oh yeah, micro friends are a solution um, because like, you know, all these teams have to talk to each other. It's much easier for them to just own their own repo. They don't talk to anybody. They don't have to coordinate. And Ruben, I, I love what you called out there. Like uh, now we're uh, about scalability. Like this is real. For those of you who are new out there, uh, our front and happy regulars, this is more when we think senior engineer architects, like this is the level we, we start to think at, which is, um, you know, scalability. It's not, can my application handle, you know, X concurrent users, et cetera. It's scalability of your organization, scalability of communication, scalability of how your code works. And that's really what we're talking about. Monoliths get a lot of hate because it's what people are used to, especially people coming from the Python, Django world where, of course, everything's a monolith, you know, but people think, oh, because it's old, it's not as good as say, micro friends, but monoliths scale really well. They scale organizationally well. They're well proven. Uh, but let's say like micro friends have their place. If you're a fast moving startup, you don't want to pay the organizational tax of communicating between a bunch of different projects and a bunch of engineers who have different opinions about code. It's much easier to silo them off and say like, hey, oh, you want to do uh, React over here? Cool, you, you can do that. You, you want to do a completely different framework over here? You can do that as well. Uh, but there, I don't, I mean, we can talk about this when we get the pros and cons, but yeah, there's no silver bullet here. It really is a, it depends and it depends on cheers. which, yeah, cheers. cheers. And it really, it, it's about what problem are you trying to solve today? And are you willing to pay the tax on that later down the road? Because I would say micro can get very expensive if they're not well managed. And that's, that's something we're starting to see now more as people have been using these for a couple of years. You start to see like, hey, maybe this wasn't the best idea as our product matures or, hey, how do we unify all these different code base and styles into one because it's becoming really expensive to maintain all these different. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of things there. So the first one I want to get out of the way is, you know, the multiple framework thing. I do not recommend it. I'm like, <laughs> please don't. I mean, if you have company um, are not, cannot agree in uh, using your, just React, I mean, you have bigger problems <laughs> than, you know, you don't, but basically, but I, the reason I'd say that is because um, not just because of the performance, but the performance is the main one that people say, you know, if you have React and Vue and Angular, uh, you have a lot of, uh, you know, the bundle size gets increased, et cetera. But even if you fix that problem with the performance, you end up with a problem with the organization, which basically you have two, three, four teams who have a different set of skills and they use a different component library and you cannot do knowledge transfer. So... I definitely say, you know, 
yes, it sounds really good on paper, you know, you can use whatever you want. But in practice, from you know the companies I work with and the companies I, I've been uh, talking to, um, it is a bad idea. It's a bad idea in terms of uh, reusability of the code and and you know sharing knowledge, etc. So, if you have a use case, I have two only two use cases where um, using multiple frameworks might be a good idea. Uh, one is if you are migrating. So if you are migrating. And let's say you know you had Angular JS and you want to migrate to React. Well, at some point you will have React and Angular uh, operating on the same page, uh, and that's basically you cannot avoid that. And, and there is a pattern called the strangler pattern, which uh, basically you remove the old application and then you put the new application on top. So that's one one exception. Another exception is uh, oh, there is a company, there is an acquisition. You know, they bought a company and they have their own um, you know framework or skill set. Microsoft Frontends will help you um, run those two different technologies at the same time. But at some point, one, has, one of them has to give way. You know, one has to adopt the new framework or not. Or you might stay with them. But those are the only two cases um, <laughs> that I, I'll say use uh, multiple frameworks uh, with Micro Frontends. And that's the biggest myth. Like, you know, people think micro frontends equals multiple frameworks. And I've been trying hard just every time I you know, talk to people like, no, <laughs> you can, but the, the fact that you can doesn't mean that you should. So <laughs> no, I like what you said too, Ruben, that it's like if you can't decide on a framework as a company, then that's you know, you have your own problems. Granted, you know, there are large companies where there might not be a reason to decide on one to rule them all. Like you'll have pockets of applications where they'll be written in one and, you know, application in the other. And that, I think that's fine. But when you're trying to ship to the, the same customer in the same application, that's where it's really problematic. Like you said, with the, the bloat into the package, like that's no good. But then also just reusability too. It's like you should be able to share components. You should be exactly. thinking through that and like collaborating in that sense. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that that is not what micro friend ends are for. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. The only time when I'm like, maybe it's okay is if you're trying to migrate to another framework, right? Like, because we've all been there, migrations are tough. That could actually be a way of doing that where you're like, okay, we're going to slowly migrate to React or we're going to migrate to Vue. Yeah, and micro frontends are great for migrations. So one of my favorite use cases is migrations uh, because, uh, it, you know, today you can't just go to the business and say, we are not going to do any more features. We are going to do a big bang rewrite. And the only thing you guarantee with a big bang rewrite is a big bang. So that's not enough. buy. <laughs> Um, so basically, uh, the, the micro frontend story for migrations is, okay, you don't have to do a big bang rewrite. You just incrementally uh, rewrite your application. And at the end, you end up with a brand new application uh, that is more compo that's composable and it has more flexibility. So migrations is my, my favorite. You know, apart from the talking again, we were talking about the benefits. You know, benefits are organizational uh, improvement in terms of agility and deploying independently. But also migrations is a great use case uh, for micro frontends. I think uh, just like zooming in on the granularity of micro frontends, because it's still kind of a vague term. One, one thing I've seen is you have a page on any website that could be actually be a micro frontend where like the header and the footer and then sidebar are all different teams that work on those and different parts of the, the feed. I'd say uh, Facebook's a great example of, of that where 
you have the homepage feed, you have the news feed. I, I don't know, I've been on Facebook in years, but uh, like you can have that sort of architecture in a, in, a, in a single page application where it's actually a bunch of different applications composed together. Then you could also have a micro front end where every page or different parts of the pages are different teams and different applications as well. So it's really, it's still that really vague definition, but as some of those, some of, it's like some of these give me the heebie-jeebies because like I just see the complexity exploding if it's not well scoped, and that's some of what you're talking about with micro front ends like being good for you know if your company gets acquired or you're trying to do a migration. Can we talk a little bit about the the cons of uh, micro front ends? Because I'll be honest, I'm being really candid. I'm not a fan of them. I think they have their use case, but I think it gets abused sometimes. But let, let's talk about that a bit. There are, there are a lot of cons, and actually I have a talk just that's titled, you know, the risks of micro frontends, because I have seen them firsthand when they work, but I also have seen them firsthand when they don't work, and it's a, it's a mess. Um, before before we, get, we get into that, you know, regarding how do you split them, uh, because you mentioned, you know, they are small, they are, are they a page? Uh, the key is uh, business domain. I think you touched that really briefly there, you know, you don't think about, is this micro frontend a page or a component? You think who owns this part of the application? Who is the owner? What is my business domain mapped to this part of the application? Because one of the uh, cons of micro frontends is that people slice too granularly and they end up with too many micro frontends. So that is probably one of the first one is, you know, uh, you go crazy and then you split your um, page into 100 different applications or different micro frontends uh, down to the component level. And guess what that means? That means that you have 100 things to look after and 100 things to deploy and 100 things to maintain. So it increases the complexity. So I'll say, uh, do not go crazy, you know, splitting micro frontends too granularly. Uh, think about business domain, uh, think about team, who owns it, and think about you know how that maps to your business. Uh, going too granular to the component level is probably not a good idea. I haven't seen any cases where it's actually a good idea going to the component level. For that, you have a component library, right? You, you know That's a standard. Component libraries are great. Um, so microcontents are more like a collection of components that map to a business domain. So <laughs> number one is, you know, too many micro frontends, too much complexity. That's probably uh, one of the main reasons that why you shouldn't go to micro frontends is that obviously it's a distributed system and a distributed system requires more maintenance. It requires more, um, uh, you know, maintainability. I don't know. It requires a lot of stuff that you have to do to make it work. Uh, whereas before it was just simple. But the reason people go there is because, okay, uh, larger, larger organizations, they have the resources. So there is like a balance between, okay, what the additional complexity that I'm introducing, is it worth uh, that complexity plus the benefits that I'm getting out of it, which is, you know, I'm going faster and my application can be more reliable because I can scope and fix errors and make sure that I'm not introducing bugs when, you know, I'm not deploying the entire application basically. So yeah, that's one of the, the cons is too granular and I have seen them. I, I, I'm going to tell a story actually. Um, so when I used to work at uh, my previous company, uh, one of the senior engineers came and they were like, I hate micro frontends. This is a bad idea. I sat down with them and I was like, okay, hold on. What's, what's going on? Well, when we used to have a monolith, we used to just deploy the application once and that was it. Now I have to 
plan my releases and then have to plan five hour blocks for my release. I was like, hold on, what? Five hours? Why? Well, my release is taking five hours. I was like, okay, that's not right. Why? Well, we have 70 micro frontends, seven zero micro frontends for this page. And we have to deploy one by one. And if we deploy them out of it's order, like if we deploy this one first and then that one, then everything breaks and we have to roll back and do it again. I was like, that is the opposite, like the complete opposite of what this is about. Because, and we are going to talk about something else, uh, which is uh, the, the key is uh, coupling. So for a, for a distributed system uh, to work and for a system to be distributed, you need to decouple it. Because if you don't decouple the system, you end up with a distributed monolith, which is the case, the story I just told about my colleague, that was a distributed monolith. Because they had to uh, deploy everything, all these granular pieces, at the same time to get a coherent UI. They were not getting any benefits from micro frontends. So I think the key is coupling. Like people distribute the application, make it independently deployable, but still couple. And then they still have to deploy everything uh, like in sequence, which is is probably the worst of uh, both worlds, you know, the monolith and distributed systems. I, I also like these said about the complexity because that one always, to me, hits the top of the list. Microservices in general or micro mm -hmm. front ends, doesn't matter, <laughs> is that complexity. And something that I think about even really specifically to microservices is the sense that you, one benefit is you get to really focus, right? Like you're working on your feature or your page or whatever it is, you have that folk. But the problem is, is that now everyone has those focus moments and that there's not really an understanding of the whole entirety, right? I'm sure there are some folks that do, but it breaks down more and more. And so communication has to be really great. Uh, and I think that that's something that it's not a bad thing, it's, but it is a trade-off that you really have to figure out is knowing that complexity and having a good understanding and communication line with the team next to you or engineers next to you, whoever you're working with, where those dots connect. I think that's a big piece that always comes to mind that can be really hard. Yeah, uh, I'd say like a truth in software engineering is like you, you don't get rid of complexity. You can abstract it away and you can change who focuses on it, but like it's always going to exist in, in any given system. The, the challenge of micro frontends is primarily around complexity, but to a, to a casual front end engineer, you don't see it. Like you said, Ryan, your, your head's down, you focus, you have your repo with, you know, five, 10, 20 other people on it. You don't have to worry about everything else, but Ruben, like the story you're telling, there is a team that has to worry about how it all comes together. Usually that's the, sometimes the SRE or deployment team or whatever you want to call them at your company. Somebody's worrying about how all these pieces come together. And when they don't come together, and they won't uh, plenty of times, somebody has to deal with that. Now, is it better for some team that's kind of abstracted away from actually working on the code to solve that? Or is it better for the engineers themselves who are writing it to help navigate how these components talk to each other? And like, right, I like you called out there, like it's about communication. And that's, that's kind of key in any company is how do the components talk to each other? How do they communicate? How do these teams communicate? The... The great thing about micro is like you don't have to talk to each other necessarily. The bad thing about micro is you don't have to talk to each other necessarily. And like that, that is, that's a problem. And it's totally relevant or it's totally based on your business and your organization, like how well your communication lines are set up. Yeah, how, how well your organization can can do that. How, how well you can go without talking to another team 
And so to answer your question, uh, what's how you handle this? Uh, well, it depends. Cheers. <laughs> but um, the the you need a platform. That's why I call a platform or like. A, yeah, like a platform team in the company. You, I used to work at Amex and Amex, we used to have the platform team who was in charge of the like the framework where all the teams come together and use that framework to to build this. But yeah, you, you need some governance. You need someone who, who knows uh, how, how everything comes together. But the success of a good platform team is that they have the, the rails for teams to just forget about the architectural side of it and they just focus on on their features and then deliver their features with great tooling and great libraries to support that. So definitely, if a company is big enough anyway, you have a platform team. And that platform team usually is like a, a subset of, you know, the people who maintain the design system, mm -hmm. people who maintain the architecture or infrastructure, all of that. So yeah, you need someone looking after um, the, the whole picture. Uh, and in, term, in terms of communication, um, I mean, I'm not selling these very well. I think I need to sell it a bit more. <laughs> the <laughs> benefits of micro front ends. So um, basically, uh, when, when you have, you know, the developer experience is a good one because you don't have to think about the entire application. You just have the small set that you can just develop. Uh, but also uh, isolating errors. I think that is probably one of the benefits that is not talked a lot about micro front ends. And is that if your application is decoupled very well, you can make sure that you isolate those errors and you isolate the failure. So if a micro front end fails, uh, then you don't take the entire application down. That's one side. And the second part of the failure isolation and, and error handling is if you deploy the entire application, then you don't know what you are deploying. You might be deploying a bug that you're not sure about. But when you are deploying an application independently, then you will know that you're only making changes to that particular application. And that shouldn't make any difference to anybody else if it's decoupled properly. Like it shouldn't introduce any problems. And I think one of the reasons people don't like the monolith is basically because of that, because you have to deploy everything at once. And if you break something, then the, the deploying rollback or hotfix is very challenging. So with microfront ends, just basically, I just deploy my part of the application and there is a strong contract where I know that I don't break that contract, similar with microservices. Uh, so I know this is my space. I don't get out of these boundaries and I will be fine. One that made me just think of it too is like, it may be seem minor, but can be a big one when you're ramping up on a team or anything is pulling the code base. Like when it's a monolith is massive, <laughs> right? Like it can take so long to get up and running and especially, or if you've gone on vacation or you haven't touched the code base in a while, Sometimes that can, you know, be a lot to catch up on. So I think that that in itself too goes back to that focus where a micro front end is like you're like I just focus on this, and so there's less changes in that scenario in that little space too, which is kind of nice. Yeah, and if you're going to the code management part of micro front ends, um, a lot of people don't like micro front ends as well because of that because you have a separate repository for everything yep <laughs> that's good and that was a good case you know i can just focus and i can just pull my repository but um the other side is in terms of going back to you know the cons is like you end up with too many repositories and that is going to be difficult to track so what i've seen lately uh is that monorepos are really good as well for microfront ends so people think oh you either do a monorepo or microfront ends but actually you can combine both 
like you can have really good monorepo tooling these days. Uh, it didn't used to be the case like five, four, five years ago, but today the the tooling for monorepos has gone 10x. And actually, one of them is called NX. <laughs> I love NX; it's really good. And uh, or Turbo uh, Repo, uh, they are really good uh, mono repo tooling that you can use today, and that can help you to uh, get benefits of independently uh, deployable ap applications. But also, you don't have to uh, clone ten repositories. Uh, you know, you just have the mono repo. So the code organization aspect is not really the key here. The key here is decoupling. So in a monorepo or a separate repository, the key is that you have that microphone end is very is separated separated from the rest of the code base, and they, you know where everything is coming from. So you know the inputs and outputs from that particular section of the application. So I think that's the benefit. Like you decouple the application more than all the other benefits. You know, like uh, independently deployable applications, etc. At Netflix right now, we're using more of a Ruben. I think you call it a modular monolith, which which I like. And mm -hmm. we're moving towards the integrated application. So uh, Netflix.com exists within one repo. There are different applications and different teams that work on those, and they're deployed independently. So they actually don't have to talk to each other too often, other than through API contracts and things like that. Uh, I, I agree. I think it's a sweet spot, especially it's based on uh, and Ruben. I also like you call it platform team. Because you know, I lead the platform team, so I, I care very much about this topic, and this is something uh, you know we spend a lot of time thinking about. It's about like one, how well funded is your platform team? Is it a twenty-person platform team? If so, you can afford maybe to dive into micro front ends a bit. But if you're running on a smaller platform team, you run a bit more lean. You have to think about that efficiency. That what's the scope of the platform? What can they actually pay attention to? If you run into an issue, can they help you solve it or not? So like. You know, we're talking about code, we're talking about architecture, but really it comes down to like business and organization. And that's what all this is a reflection of, is your organization. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, if you want to take more complexity, uh, you need the resources. Uh, the success of a platform team is that they need to absorb all that com complexity and let the product teams develop, uh, you know, freely with everything they need. So <laughs> the platform team are basically taking the toll of the uh, complexity side. You know, they are the ones who need to create the correct abstractions. They need to ensure that everything just works. Um, and that's what I used to do, uh, you know, at, at my previous job. We, we had everything. People just had to basically start a command and they will have everything for them to start developing their own application. They didn't think need to think about infrastructure. They didn't need to think about how it composes into their page. Nothing. But then it was up to us, the platform team, to create all those abstractions and hide all that complexity away from them. So yeah, you definitely need a well-funded one. And it has to be, uh, there is a really good concept that I love and it's, uh, there is a sense of urgency. You know, like in organizations, uh, you know, you never get this, you know, we do it later, we do it next quarter, next quarter. But if there is a problem, you need to pull resources and then create like a sense of urgency to, okay, we are going to do it. We're going to implement either microphone tens or microservices, and we are going to put all the resources to make it work and, you know, sort out the complexity because we know the benefits are going to outweigh that complexity. Ruben, in your current role, are you using micro front ends? Uh, microservice and micro front ends. So um, we are using micro front ends right now for migrations because that's that, like the main reason. And what we have done is another really good concept I love is uh, reversible decisions. So in my architecture, I don't have to go all the way to micro front ends. I have to, I can choose. So basically we have the monolith 
And if you want to deploy with a monolith, fine. But if one of those applications wants to deploy independently, it's a very easy switch. And then they decided, actually, deploying this independently was causing too many issues. Then we can go back to the monolith and then go with the release train. So we are creating a more like a decouple architecture that you can uh, deliver independently if you want. But if you don't want to, because you don't want that complexity, you can go back. And the second part of it is uh, the, the migration. Like we have a really old application and we want to migrate to the new one. Uh, so we are just taking piece by piece uh, from the old one to create it as a new brand new architecture. Nice. Yeah. Because I know hearing Jem talk about like how Netflix.com is set up. If you go across Netflix, there's lots of different uh, approaches and different applications. But I was curious how you all were approaching that. When I when I think of micro front ends too, is there like a good library or, or framework that lends well to micro front ends? Like I know we mentioned like, yeah, you can technically use a bunch of frameworks and throw them all together. <laughs> but are there some that lend better to it? Well, um, I think... Uh, Frameworks these days, you know, like React, they're really good at composability. So you can actually split your application into components and then a collection of components. So that took us like closer to that uh, composability decouple thing. Now, there is one key technical aspect about micro front ends. And if you go to what I call runtime composition micro front ends, which means that you, you are on the page and you don't need to redeploy, you just get a new update when the users refresh the browsers, they just get a new update. That's what I call runtime composition, which is uh, you don't need to build and deploy. Users will just get updates over there. For that one to work, uh, there is a piece of technology called module federation that is really good. It's just basically loading JavaScript at runtime. So that's one of the, the frameworks. Uh, for single page applications especially, is is really useful. Um, but there are many ways of composing micro front ends. You know, I mentioned client-side composition, but you can do that on the server side as well. You can just do templating on the server side and then uh, get the micro front end source code from another service and then just rendering on the server and then send it to the client. There are edge, edge like using the edge today is like a buzzword, mm -hmm. but micro front ends, you can use that as well. You, you know, before the user gets the, the page, uh, the edge server would just take it and then compose everything and give it to you. So far, the one I've uh, been using the most is client side uh, because of single page applications. So uh, that's probably, I'll recommend, it's probably also the easiest <laughs> uh, because server side is a bit more complex. And again, we are talking about complexity then. Uh, you want to get rid of as much complexity as you, as you can uh, for you to see the benefits. I, I think one piece we uh, left out was with micro front ends, you're assuming one team works on one repo in one area of the code. What if you have to work in multiple parts? That means you have to build multiple repos and multiple people's code. And there's not a centralized way of building, which sometimes there's not. Sometimes everybody, somebody, some people might use, I, don't, I won't go into all the tooling, but you know, different teams might have different commands to run things. Then you're running, like it's even more complex in the long run if you're like, you have that sort of organization. But again, like it all boils down to like, what sort of development are you doing? What sort of product are you building? What does your organization look like? Because you can make it work, but something, I'll say something as large as like our Netflix web, web team, it wouldn't work. It would be so complicated to have a bunch of micro front ends and people having a bunch of different ways and opinions on how to build things that working on multiple products would be, that would be a nightmare. So you, you can tell I'm with the platform team because like I just, I'm like, ah, complexity. This is another thing about micro front ends is like people, 
talk about them, but the people who are actually using them don't talk a lot about them. You know, you'll be surprised how many large companies are using micro front ends in production today. Again, going, going back to, you know, the success of, of this, is it, is it solving a problem? If it's not, if it's going to cause more problems that it's going to solve, then, then yeah, avoid it. Absolutely. Just don't get near it <laughs> because it's going to cause more problems. Um, but the tooling is also been, is helping with all these uh, complexity issues that you just mentioned, you know, like uh, if a team wants to build this and if I have to build all the repositories, it's incredible the way that the tooling um, helps you, for example, just pull the production website. You don't have to build anything. You just pull the production website and then your repository or your small microphone end is the thing that you change and, and everything is working fine. So uh, there is also tooling that will support uh, and will fix those uh, problems. So, yeah, I mean, there is a, it depends. There is also a fix for everything. So Cheers. Yeah, it depends on your company. Cheers. Cheers. What are some tools, Ruben, that you found have found useful for that? Um, well, in, in, I was going to say it depends again, but we just had a drink. But <laughs> <laughs> if you are doing um, client-side composition, uh, there, are, there are many ways. There are like tools that will basically map all your microphone ends that you have like a dashboard where you can just toggle them. Uh, this is another benefit, actually, I forgot to mention. A-B testing, or, you know, that for microphone ends is also good because uh, you can, with microphone ends, just switch between different versions at runtime so you can run really cool experiments. Um, and tooling, in terms of tooling, there are like dashboards where you just basically control what is active on the page at any given time. And it's really cool. It's, it's actually scary because you can get into really complex, you know, chaos engineering. If one of the front ends failed, then the next one will just come up automatically and stuff like that. So you can get really clever with this and you can make really cool stuff. But again, if that stuff is distracting you from the main goal, then don't look into that. You know, uh, the the chaos engineering. You need to be really mature with the basic concept of microphone ends and distributed systems before you can go into all of that. Uh, you know, self healing, uh, chaos engineering, A/B testing. All of that stuff will be more like on top of it once you have achieved all the benefits of decoupling first. The different stages. You know, Jem mentioned the modular monolith. I think the key distinction uh, is when you deploy independently. So if you separate this problem into two, decoupling, like if you decouple your application, you'll end up with a better application because you are not stepping on each other's toes. You are not making changes that are going to break something else. And then if you go a step further and you can distribute the application independently, then you end up in a microfrontend architecture that might give you some benefits. But even if you are not going to distribute independently, please decouple your applications because the, most of the problems I have seen out there is uh, spaghetti code. You know, like you end up with no, nobody knows what is where and it's very difficult to make changes because everything is here and everywhere. So I like pasta, you know, I like a good carbonara. I don't like spaghetti code. I prefer this <laughs> to call it like a, I prefer to call it a pizza architecture. You know, pizza you can have a whole thing, but you can get a slice. And then, you know, I prefer to I prefer pizza to pasta, actually, in terms of architecture. So decoupling is, yeah, avoid pasta. Just make sure you can slice your pizza correctly into smaller pieces. Um, and if you want to deliver independently, well, that is a decision that your team can make. And if you want to take, again, the complexity, 
I, I feel like we should have picked complexity as the cheers <laughs> keyword. <laughs> but um, it it comes up enough, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, is uh, decoupling is probably if you are looking into this, if you have a problem, let's start decoupling your code base. Let's start decoupling your application, and then decide then. Do I have to go, do I want to go to the far end of the distributed system or is a decoupled modular monolith enough for me? Uh, which could be a monorepo or it could be just a normal modular monolith. So yeah, that's probably the thing I wanted to say at the end. <laughs> awesome, which makes a ton of sense. Well, it's probably a good time for us to jump into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to share things that we found interesting, want to share with all of you. Jem, you want to start it off? Yeah, I've got two picks today. Um, the first one is a book by Sarah Dresner, who is a uh, semi-frequent guest on the show. Uh, she wrote a book called Engineering Management for the Rest of Us. Highly recommend. Sarah, throughout my years knowing her, has just given me pearls of wisdom here and there without even intending to. Uh, just a, like a great leader all around, so I, I really respect. And she wrote a book about management. I, I really... I know ICs will probably, uh, or software engineers will probably not read management books, but it really is worthwhile to, to think like, um, this is how your manager sees the problems you solve, and it's not necessarily about the code. I mean, it always comes back to the code, but that's one aspect of it. Uh, and I think everybody would be a little bit better off if we understood like how managers think about things. I, I wish I had known like years ago. So highly recommend the book. Um, my second pick is Valley Silicon pick. So normally I do a whole bit where I say, how much do you think this will cost and would you pay for it? But this one, I don't know. It, I'll just describe it for you. It's a food processor or it sells itself as a food waste composter. So you're like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, we should compost our food. A lot of uh, people don't know this, but a lot of greenhouse gases are caused by just food waste getting dumped in and they break down, they release greenhouse gases. And if we compose it our food, we just kind of shorten that cycle a little bit. The reason why the uh, Lomi food and waste composter is a Valley Silicon pick, because I, I remember coming across a YouTube video uh, and it was like, what does this thing actually do? And like, how does it compose food like faster than just normally like putting it in the garden and burying it and let nature do its course? So what it does is it heats up all of your food and it heats it really, really high. And then it cools it down and that helps it break down. But in doing so, it becomes less environmentally friendly than just like simply burying it. Cause like it takes so much power to do that, that it kind of defeats the purpose of what it's supposed to do in the first place. And not only that, you have to chop up your food yourself and then put it in there. You can't just like dump a banana peel or something like that. It'll get clogged. So I picked this because it's a $500 kind of heater for your food that maybe in the long run probably isn't as environmentally friendly as as a uh, yeah, to put it, but if you have one, go ahead uh, tweet at me at Jim Young. You can disagree with me all day. I, I'm I'm here for your uh, Twitter arguments. I've seen this before, and I thought it was to make it like yes, better for the environment. So okay, you're saying no. And then another one is I thought it was like to prevent some of the smell and that it was easier. I'm sorry, but chopping up your food to have to no, like I don't think so. There, <laughs> I compost it. I do it all the time, but you know what? I throw it in a tin in the bag and when it gets full, I empty it. I don't know. That's hilarious. I would have expected it to make my life easier, not harder. Yeah. It's one of those, like, it looks cool. It makes you feel better about the, like I'm doing something for the environment and it's really expensive, but in the long run, 
it's not really doing a whole lot. It's it's not doing what you think it does. That's amazing. All right, Ruben, what what kind of picks do you have for us? Um, well, I have um, probably let's do three. Let's do one resources for micro front ends on topic. Uh, so yeah. I recommend the the book by Luca Mezzarella. He's a good friend. Is building micro front ends. So if you are familiar with building microservices, he wrote the book for micro front ends. So I hundred percent recommend it. And also my friend Natalia Vendito, she created a website called uh, microfrontend.dev. She basically compiled a lot of the microfrontend architectural decisions and not just about microfrontends, actually. He has a lot about frameworks as well. So definitely a shout out to, to, to both of them. Uh, and in terms of uh, two more picks, so the first one is uh, a, a series, The Last of Us. I've been watching it and it's just amazing if you're not watching it, it's just it's on hbo sorry it's not on netflix but <laughs> it's so good um i've been I, I play the games i've been just blown away but this series is so good so visually you know it's amazing so take a look at it probably a lot of people are and the last one is probably uh that's probably gonna help gems pick actually uh because you said that it's gonna use energy so <laughs> i recently got um I want to be more environmentally friendly and also, well, it's very expensive in Europe, the current crisis with energy. So I got solar panels and a heat pump, which is a new device that is like an air conditioning but works in reverse uh, to, um, you know, lower your energy bills and be kinder to the environment. So I'm pretty sure that if you plugged your uh, <laughs> food processor into my solar panels, then it will be free energy. I'm not sure about the gas, uh, the greenhouse gas that we produce, but anyway. <laughs> I also have a heat pump. Uh, we got one last year and it, it is great. There are downsides too. Like it doesn't work if the ambient temperature is like too low, it, it's kind of trouble. Yeah. but it still takes substantially less gas than our general like power than my electricity. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. It doesn't really get cold that cold in the UK. I mean, the UK is very rare if you go below freezing. So it, it kind of does the trick here. So. All right, I have two picks. Actually, I have three picks. I'm gonna to stay on topic. I'm gonna share. Uh, I know Ruben, you had mentioned the risk of micro front ends talk that you did. So there is a video on YouTube. Highly recommend going and checking that out. And then I have two picks uh, for two documentaries that I've watched, both very recently, and I think it was like one after the other. I went down a rabbit hole on collecting apparently so the first one i watched was on netflix was it's called the pez outlaw so it's this whole story about this guy i mean there's this these people who collect pez and it's like this big thing out the pez outlaw goes and gets ones that aren't available in the u.s and he starts selling them it's this whole thing it's a cool story to kind of follow the like community around people who collected pez and then this story of this pez outlaw so I had to follow up on another collection show in the 90s was Beanie Babies. So there's a documentary on HBO called Beanie Mania. And it's all about the craze of people collecting and selling Beanie Babies. And it was really interesting to, to kind of learn about the company selling them and then the like secondary market and how it was almost like this fluctuation of stocks almost around Beanie Baby values. It, it was an interesting story. And I remember a lot of this 
growing up, but to really see it like pulled together in a story, it was, it was really interesting. So I highly recommend both those documentaries. I don't ask me why I got down this rabbit hole. I'm not a big person to collect things. So, but it was interesting. So yeah, those are my picks. Both really good. Thanks, Ruben, so much for joining us on the episode. It was great diving into micro front ends. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to talk more about micro front ends? Um, I'm fairly active on Twitter. Um, I didn't get my username. So my username is a bit strange. Uh, It's Infoxicator, but with D because the T1 is not available. I've been trying to get that one for a long time. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, we just put a link on the show notes and then... Uh, also, um, I'm trying to use LinkedIn more and my website. I need to update my website as well. Uh, I keep getting traffic I, because I, I like to write as well. So um, I like to write uh, blog posts about front-end architecture. Uh, so that's basically in on Dev2, um, writing a lot pretty much every week. So you can find me there as well. Right on. Well, thank you all for listening to our episode. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at FrontendHH. You can Follow us on really anything that you like to subscribe to podcasts on. Find us at frontendhappyhour.com. Any last words? Complexity. (laughs) It depends, sir. It depends. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.